really wanted it to have just an authentic feel as far as it's some, something that was designed from the Black community and something we can really kind of assume as our own because it really hasn't been just something like that, at least that we know of in terms of just uh, kind of an issue that's really trying to engage and help grow the sport um, both on and off the field in this way. We're pleased to present this special episode of The Cusp Show. It's a panel discussion organized and hosted by the Black Sports Management Union at Columbia. Current student and the incoming head of the union, Aladu Salifu, was joined by three outstanding panelists to discuss issues related to Black soccer participation and fandom in America. The event featured Choma Atanmo, Community Programs Manager at Sporting Kansas City, TJ Winfrey, the Chief of Partnerships at Detroit City FC, and Patrick Rose, Director of Strategy at Four Soccer Ventures. In addition to discussing their career journeys within soccer, Choma, TJ, and Patrick identify barriers inhibiting soccer participation and fandom within the African-American community and suggest possible solutions. The guests also discuss the Black Star Initiative, a new project developed by Four Soccer Ventures to help accelerate the growth of soccer in the African-American community. We hope you enjoyed the show. All right, well, uh, thank you all for uh, um, making time and uh, coming out. Um, I am uh, Cameron Morris. I'm currently the co-president uh, of the uh, BSMU. This is actually my last event as the co-president uh, as I will be uh, graduating soon. And we have actually um, passed the um, torch along to Niari uh, Galvez, who just joined, and Kenneth Sharp, who are our new co presidents um and uh our vp will be miss jenna smith who i don't know if she's on yet or not but i just wanted to thank them for stepping up into the roles and um thank our panelists for taking the time out and to help us learn and to grow in this space thank you scott um and um, i can take zero uh, credit for this wonderful event my uh, Colum buddy has done most of this work he's done all the great work finding these phenomenal panelists and making sure that we have all of the uh things in order so without any further ado i'm going to pass this off to him and let him take over thank you guys hello everyone thank you so much for being here taking the time to be here on this wednesday evening thank you to the distinguished panels faculty staff you know, I see some alums on, you know, here to be here as we discuss this topic on black soccer, fandom and participation within America. We have Chioma, who is um, a soccer, who has been a soccer player in the past, was most recently named US Soccer Game Day Ambassador. We have Patrick, who currently works for, for Soccer Ventures and um, was most recently part of the organizers of the, the Sloan Analytics Conference. And lastly, we have TJ Winfrey, who most of you know, a friend of the program, has been on the cast show twice already. And um, just really, really thankful for all of these guys, you know, being here tonight. And I don't think I've done justice um, introducing them. So we'll go around and have each of them introduce themselves. And if you have a player, a soccer player who best represents you um, in terms of your personality or even your playing skills. You know, we have, I know TJ has picked up some playing skills in Detroit, so maybe you could um, drop a name of a player. So let's go around, starting with Shoma, you know, just a brief um, background, you know, where you're from, 
uh, what you do currently and um, a player that best uh, represents your playing skills or personality. Yeah, thank you guys for hosting this. I'm excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. I currently work for Sporting Kansas City. Um, I've been with the club since April 2018. Before that, I was in Arizona, worked with Phoenix Rising, FC Tucson. I've been in the sports industry for about a decade. So started off interning, just wanting to stay connected to the game when I could no longer play. Um, so I've held positions in operations, administration, um, and then also as a nutritionist and fitness coach. So uh, funny story, my degree is in nutritional sciences. So on top of my work at Sporting, I also run a nutrition coaching business called Mindful Appetite. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm currently in the community programs department, I'm running our nonprofit and doing all things CR. And uh, favorite player, um, I will say that I, I was a little starstruck when I met DDA Drugba. So I'll, I'll just say that he's one of my favorite players. I, I love his passion for the game and wanting to stay in it as long as he can and just using his name and star power to really um, bring excitement to the game in Arizona. So yeah, that's who I'll go with today. I think we can have TJ, TJ next. Sure, hey, uh, hey everyone. Thank you for having me here tonight. Um, Always a pleasure to come back uh, to to Columbia, uh, albeit virtually, um, and, and speak. Uh, so thank you guys for having me. This is this should be fun. Um, <clears throat> TJ Winfrey. Um, I uh, started out my sports career actually at Nike. Well, actually, backing up, I interned um, in Detroit for the Lions a couple years when I was in college, um, and then I went to went to Target. Uh, to work as an analyst there, and then and then Nike, um, and then I went back to business school. Um, and the reason for me going to business school, I'm at Columbia, was just to just kind of understand um, where I wanted to be in the sports space. Um, Tom and Joe know this story, and others that have talked to me, but uh, I was just trying to figure out where sport was growing and where I could kind of place my bets, so to speak, um, in an industry that I felt you know, at the time, at least in 2015, 2016, wasn't doing a ton, but but had the potential to do more. And so I looked at uh, venture capital um, and interned at a VC. Um, and also, you know, uh, didn't discover, but uh, certainly learn more about the game of soccer. Um, again, that I didn't really grow up playing, but um, knew that it was growing in America, obviously, um, and is you know, the number one sport in the world. And so um, I joined MLS, I joined their digital media team in, in a function that I felt was, was growing in terms of um, how, uh, how consumers are um, digesting sports um, and content. Uh, worked there for a couple of years and, um, and then moved back to Detroit last year um, in the pandemic, just trying to figure things out. Was, was still at MLS, but... Um, you know, I was looking to make a move and um, Detroit City FC uh, reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you come run our partnerships team? So I was like, sure, why not? Uh, so um, that's kind of kind of the story there. Uh, but we can get get more into that tonight. Um, in terms of favorite player, uh, when I when I joined MLS, um, uh, the run that Atlanta United was having was uh, really special. 
and uh, Joseph Martinez and uh, Miguel Amiron were just killing it um, in 2018. So, uh, you know, I always, I always remember those two guys. Um, and I went to MLS Cup 2018. It was like my first MLS game or, or one of my first. So um, awesome experience. Pass it on to Patrick. Appreciate that, TJ. And thanks for having me, Alou, just for the invite and everything. So it's great to, great to see you again. And uh, yeah, guys, my name is Patrick Rose. I'm originally from the Baltimore area in Maryland. So I grew up there, um, have a Jamaican background. My parents are Jamaican, so that's how I kind of got into soccer. So grew up there and played soccer and just a bunch of kind of youth teams growing up at the club level, like had opportunities to play like pretty high level club ball and just always had a desire to play in college. So was fortunate to get the opportunity to play on D1 at Howard University. So I played at Howard for four years. And then after Howard, I ended up joining IBM as a strategy consultant in DC. So it was kind of like the intersection between um, kind of traditional management consulting and uh, tech work that I was doing in DC. But during that time, just always had a kind of passion desire to at some point really make that transition back to sports just because I always had a passion for it. Grew up playing soccer, as I mentioned, as well as basketball. So it was really just doing a lot of research on my end just to see just the best way to break in. Just had a lot of good conversations with people that I knew that were in the industry. And just some of the guys at IBM just really encouraged me to get my MBA as far as just a way to really take some time out to kind of reflect on your career path, do a lot of networking, really do a deep dive to kind of just get into sports. So along with that, and just a really opportunity to kind of grow in my skill sets on the business side, decided to get my MBA. So um, got into MIT and was there for two years, graduated in um, 2021, um, so this year and this past May. And while I was there, I just had opportunity to really get involved with uh, MIT Sports and Limits Conference. So that was um, great doing that. Um, and also got the opportunity to intern at ESPN on their corporate strategy team. So that was really kind of a great segue into sports as far as it being just the kind of biggest media platform in the kind of world in terms of sports and really just a lot of um, just fundamental things I learned throughout that experience. So that was really great for me. And during that time, I started doing a research project on really the growth of soccer in America, specifically in the Black community, just around um, kind of barriers to participation and fandom. And so um, that research was great as far as giving me a foundation into just some areas that I always wanted to explore, just being a player in the game in this, in this country and really being one of the few Black kids on my team all, at all levels. So I really wanted to delve into that. And so um, I did some research there. I found out about Four Soccer Ventures through uh, Mark Ryan, which I think uh, you, Joe, and Tom, he wanted to say hey to you guys. But he um, kind of connected me, really just had a lot of synergies between the research I was doing and some of the stuff that they were trying to do as a company. So I came on to do some consulting work that I joined full-time after graduation. So my role at FSB is Director of Operations and Strategy. And as far as favorite player, I'll just say right now, because that's always a tough question, but I'll say uh, Paul Pogba. He just has a lot of sauce, a lot of flavor, but also is just a great player from like his, his technique, his passing, his goal scoring. So I'll say him at the moment. Thanks, thanks, Patrick. Um, talking, talking about favorite player and, and global icon. So um, there's a quote here from Zlatan Ibrahimovic who played at the Galaxy in 2018. He said, you know, the sport is expensive. For example, in order for children to play in a good team, I pay 3,500 per child. It's not the figure, but for the whole concept. It's very much because not every one has money needed and the sport should be something for everyone. So Zlatan said this in 2018. Does this still hold true today? Um, let's go, let's start with your man and go in the same order. Yeah, I would, I would say soccer is still expensive. It's getting more expensive. Um, before I was in my role 
that I'm in currently as a community programs manager. I worked in youth soccer. And why I moved into youth soccer from Arizona was to create events and uh, for kids that, that look like me and create more affordable events and provide opportunities for kids to you know, play in our tournaments. And I found myself you know, creating really expensive tournaments. Kansas City is one of the largest youth soccer leagues. And I, <laughs> I got to a point where I was having like a physical aversion to doing my job because I'm just like, I'm, I'm just adding to the problem. Um, we have a lot of academy affiliates here at Sporting too, so our reach is very large across, uh, I want to say we have 15 now across nine different states, and so I've seen firsthand, yeah, that it, it's, it's still very expensive. Um, what I was able to help out with was whether it was providing a discount for players to participate in our tournament or for teams to participate at a discount. Um, it's 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 ridiculous. So yeah, it is. It still holds true. Um, now that I work on the community program side, I'm fundraising, helping kids get access to the sport. We expanded our mission, the Victory Project here at Sporting, to add two more pillars to provide kids with special needs opportunities to be outside and be active because we know the pandemic shut a lot of people inside. And then helping provide um, opportunities for kids with financial needs to get access to the sport. So. Now I'm on the opposite side and now fundraising, it's just as hard because you need money to accomplish all these things. But yes, it still very much holds true today. Uh, yeah, I, I can touch on this a little quickly, I think, but I think uh, Patrick has done some great research in this space and, and can speak can speak, uh, can speak better to it. But um, yeah, I think it certainly still, still holds true, especially here in America, um, you know, from from what I've seen um, in in other other countries, um, not all other countries, but some other countries, um, you know, the game is played in the in the poorest communities, right, in the communities where they have the least amount of resources, because it's it's a pretty simple game um, to to kind of get started. Um, but um, here in America, unfortunately, that's not the case, and I think um, you know years and decades and, you know, potentially generations of that happening has really, really pushed the game to the suburbs and, and out of the cities um, and really created an educational void um, in, in uh, inner city communities, particularly in, in black American communities. So, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it, but Patrick has, has done some work in this space and I partnered with him uh, last weekend on, you know, how to, how to alleviate um, that issue. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, the game is is still expensive, um, and I'll, I'll let Patrick take it from there. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, TJ. Um, I would just echo just uh, what Chioma and TJ both said just around the cost. It's still exorbitant, especially just looking at it from like a youth um, perspective. So just come through some of our research, just kind of just talking to different coaches around the country, you're looking at anywhere between three and $10,000 like per year to play on a high-level team, and that's not even kind of Considering just kind of like food costs, sometimes you're playing extra travel hotels and stuff like that. So there's really just a lot of costs um, associated with like playing youth soccer at a high level in America, which is pretty unfortunate because everybody doesn't have that money. Um, a lot of these clubs, as TJ was mentioning, are located in suburban environments. So like for if you're looking for a club and you live in an inner city environment or underserved community, oftentimes you're going to have to travel out to a club in a different area to really play. So there's kind of just those travel barriers as well, but definitely from a cost perspective, definitely very expensive. Um, and then also just looking at it from a kind of um, just logistics is really not a lot of kind of uh, space to play in certain cities, not a lot of grass. So just kind of a field accessibility. There's 
the cost, but there really is this, um, there still is cost. But um, one thing I'll add is just luckily, MLS academies over the last, I guess, couple of years, they've now become um, kind of fully sufficient. So if you are able to get to that level on MLS Academy at the youth stage, you're not really gonna have to pay any of those expenses. But for any other clubs at that high level, you're still looking at the kind of thousands of dollars per year. Makes sense. TJ, TJ touched on, on this a little bit, but how has these exorbitant costs, you know, affected the, the, the fandom and, and participation of, you know, the black community in, in soccer? Yeah, I mean it's it's concentrated the it's kind of concentrated the fandom, right? Like you look at the demographics of who's supporting soccer um, at at the core in this country. Um, you know, again, speaking specifically to America, um, it's really concentrated um, uh, that fandom um, and based on really who who can who understands the game, um, who kind of grew up playing the game, um, whose kids kind of play the game, um, <clears throat> and those things like that, and so. You know, I like I said, came from MLS, and one of one of the um, taglines of our um, our kind of uh, charitable arm is is called uh, was called um, Soccer for All. And so, um, you know, I know there's some work being done in this space. I know MLS is doing some work, um, but uh, I know we have we have two great inflection points coming up, right? Like we have the World Cup in 22 in Qatar, and then. Um, the World Cup here in our soil in 2026, and so um, as much as we can do now um, to really, to really help be catalysts um, and, and, and amplify the current work that's happening um, in communities where the game isn't played, uh, making it truly accessible for everyone. I think um, you know we have some natural growth points um, in the coming year. So um, excited about that. Did you um, did you have a comment, Shoma or Patrick? with regards to how this has impacted the, the Black community in terms of participation and fandom? In terms of the cost? The cost, specifically? yeah. Yeah, and I think definitely um, just the economics of it, just because uh, oftentimes in the Black community, at least you look at it from like a just national perspective, we have kind of just lower um, like income levels as far as just being able to afford certain things. So you're definitely seeing it just from that kind of, because the cost is really a barrier to entry in a lot of cases. And also, like, in addition to the cost, really, the location of the clubs, um, just soccer not really being endemic to Black culture at this point, there's really, there's kind of like a, a kind of, I guess, an ecosystem of things kind of working against why you're seeing lower Black participation, but definitely cost is a big part of that, along with some other issues. But I think it definitely is an inhibitor, um, just because there's not a lot of um, uh, just participation in that point. So I would agree with that. And I'll add one more thing, um, just in terms of visibility, what you see on TV, you see a lot of basketball, NFL, MLB, um, soccer. It's sometimes like even to watch a sporting Kansas City game because uh, there's like blackouts, even though I have the ESPN plus um, account. It's what what is popular and what black kids see is, yeah, football, basketball, that's what will um, make them the most money. So I think once soccer becomes a Soccer has, has grown tremendously in the States, but I think as it becomes more mainstream when it comes to, um, you know, just people that you can recognize without being affiliated with soccer, people recognize basketball players, even if they're not basketball fans. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I know a couple baseball players. So um, I think once we make it, you know, cool and just out there more that soccer can be for you. And then I think just, 
even speaking to girls, I know the professional pathway for girls is typically, it's, it stops at college. So I'm super excited with what the NWSL is doing. We have our own women's team here in Kansas City. So I just think that the more opportunities we can provide for kids to, to play and when they can see themselves in those players, um, yeah, just put it in their face. I feel like they'll get more excited about it. Now, I was going to say just in terms of just like kind of the cultural relevance of soccer, it's not really at that point yet. Like, I guess for take, for instance, the NBA, they do a really good job of just really integrating black culture into a lot of stuff they do as far as giving like the players a voice to speak, giving them autonomy in different areas. And with soccer, there's really just a lack of representation of black leadership at all levels. So you, you look at coaches, look at um, just the league executives, team ownership, there's really just there's not a lot of us. And there was a good report that came out um, called the FAIR report. And they just kind of did an analysis of um, like the Federation. Uh, they did an analysis of the MS MLS kind of league um, structure NWSL. And really it was like less than 1% of like coaches ownership was at zero as far as majority ownership. Like you're seeing a lot of minority ownership, um, thankfully with some areas, but really just kind of lack of representation really is a big piece because if you don't see yourself in the game, it's kind of hard to kind of put yourself in the shoes or really see an inspiration or see yourself in it. So I think that's another big piece that is kind of an inhibitor as far as soccer at this current point in America. Yeah, and Chioma and Patrick brought out the point I was going to make in terms of just representation. And if you're if you're a kid in the Black community and you're growing up and you see sports stars on television, you don't see anyone that looks like you, it's really hard uh, sometimes to get into that sport. Um, you know, my my story growing up was uh, Patrick heard, heard this a lot this weekend. I played soccer at ages four and five um, growing up, but, um, you know, my parents and my dad played college football. And so, uh, you know, after at age six, he's like, all right, it's time to play, time to play American football. And, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have that education about the sport past age five. Um, and maybe, maybe didn't want to pay the cost either uh, that came along with soccer. Uh, so I didn't, do anything with the sport again until, you know, when I was in college and I started watching, you know, World Cup. So that's, you know, you, you think about that, like you, I missed so many years uh, in terms of soccer and being a fan and, and obviously got back into it, um, you know, kind of hardcore full time uh, working with the league. So um, I don't think that story is unique um, at all in the black community growing up. And so, um, yeah, as much as we can make the sport aspirational um, to to young kids, I think uh, helps helps that cycle. So, so looking looking at the top at the national level, um, team level, look at the men's on the men's side. You have Tim Weir, you know, Weston McKenney on the female side. You know, Kristen Press, Adriana, you know, Frank. You know, for proponents of you know the pay-to-play model or the, the the model that exists, you know th these are examples of you know you know um, people from the black community who are the at the highest level. What what do you have to say about you know this this side of the argument? Yeah. We can we can um, start ahead with yeah, Patrick. Yeah, I think it's it's great to see just the the players like the national team. I think the last qualifying cycle they had it was just really like it's one of the more diverse teams that I've seen them put out. So it's great to see that on the men's side, but I think on the women's side, you're still seeing a lack of that representation, just kind of historically and just even now. But it's great to see what they have. But I think something to add to that conversation is really um, just a lot of the guys, at least on the men's team, that have made it. They, um, for the most part, like come from families that have just a lot of access to it, like whether just being able to pay for. 
um, just the high-level clubs environment. So I think you're still, even though you're seeing more of us in, in the game, there's still kind of a lack of representation from kids that come from um, kind of underserved and like inner city backgrounds. Um, so that's something that is uh, still really kind of untapped as far as how to best engage like all of the black community. Um, Cause that's like kind of a big missing element as far as um, yes, we're seeing more, but at the same time um, from like an economic standpoint, still um, kind of guys that luckily were able to come up in environments that like they had the opportunity to play. So I think that's like a, a missing element, but it's, it's great to see. Cause I love to see just how diverse the team is as far as, the guys that grew up here, but also like some of the um, internationals, um, like your um, Sergio Zest or like Anthony Robinson, who like have American backgrounds today, and they're excited to play for the team just because there's a lot of kind of young energy there. So I think it's great to see, but still, I think there's a lot of work to be done as far as engaging um, just the community here. And one thing I'll add to that, um, working in the front office uh, before this year, I was only like black woman <laughs> um, and then one of three black people in our front office. So um, when I talk to high schoolers or people in college, it's also reminding them that um, people see sports and see what's on the field, what's on the pitch, what's on the court, and assume that those are the only roles that are available. So we, if you're great in marketing, we still need people who are in marketing and communications and accounting, finance. Um, community relations. There's so many, it's a business at the end of the day. So there's so many different jobs within sports. So even though I wasn't able to play professionally, it still provided a professional pathway for me. So I think it's also reminding those kids too, that like, Hey, there's a spot for you in the front office. But at the end of the day, we, we just don't do as good of a job in most front offices um, to just like, let those kids know that, Hey, there's a spot here for you. So uh, my next my next question is um, what what's, what role um, should U.S. soccer and MLS be playing in in all of this and making sure that the sport is you know more accessible and then of you know and we have more black you know kids you know involved um, in in soccer as in soccer when you look at the MLS salaries for example you have um, for a non designated non designated player it's about this four hundred thousand as compared to the bigger you know sports how. How would you convince a kid to, you know, play play soccer, you know, if the, the kid is really, you know, super athletic as opposed to other sports, a black kid, for example? I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, since, since I'm on the team side now, um, you know, and seeing like the impact that a club can have in the community, um, you know, it's really about getting into the community, man, and, and being intentional um, about what you're doing. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I was I was at MLS last year when so I was so much social upheaval over uh, the death of George Floyd and you know the league kind of shifted focus to um, you know really re really being intentional about uh, the programming that they have for the black community and you know that's great to see uh, but it's still you know reactionary in a sense um, and. There, there just really be, needs to be a lot of intentional, there needs to be intentional programming um, in the communities that these clubs operate, um, you know, that's accessible to everyone. Uh, so um, it's, it's, it's probably less at the league level, to be honest with you, and, and the onus probably falls on the club because day in and day out, they're in the communities, um, you know, day in and day out, these players kind of live, work, and play there. Um, and if you're in that market, that's who you're seeing. Um, you know, playing for your hometown team. So, um, you know, I, I know some of that work is happening at 
can't speak specifically to what is or isn't happening, but um, I think I think that's how you do it. And um, you know, if it's important to to the leaderships at the club, um, you know, if it's if it's endemic to or if it's you know a, a part of the the core value system of that club and how it was built, you know, it'll it'll happen. Uh, but um, you know, until that happens, um, it'll be tough to really scale. Um, to scale that growth um, in, in those inner city communities um, in terms of soccer participation. And yeah, I would agree with it. I think that um, the leagues like the NWSL, MLS, the Federation, I think they need to play a major part in this because they have um, like big platforms. They have just a lot of stuff going on the youth side in terms of like their investments. I know like there was the MLS Next that just launched recently on um, the Federation. There's a lot of stuff on the youth side. Um, I know MDOSL, even in the USL, they have like a, a women's league launching as well. So I think there definitely needs to be a lot of collaboration across the board. It's not going to be one organization that kind of takes everything to the next level, but it's going to be just kind of everything kind of working collaboratively and really together to kind of engage um, black communities in soccer. And there's one thing that I've kind of, I guess what I'm working on at Four Soccer Adventures is a new program called the Black Star Initiative, which is really just a initiative to really just help increase and really accelerate the growth of soccer in America and the black communities on and off the field. And so um, with that, like a part of what we're doing is kind of engaging youth through kind of youth clinics and um, finding ways to partner with clubs like um, we did with Detroit City FC and TJ um, this past weekend as far as just kind of amplifying what they're doing and providing support and resources. And then also just another element is kind of giving a platform for youth to get seen like in free environments like by MLS coaches, by college coaches, by um, other pro um, programs are so really trying to have partnerships with like kind of at every level from uh, um, the federation to the leagues. So I think there's there are just there just has to be a lot of collaboration on that front to really kind of push um, just the growth forward. Um, it's not going to be one org, but it has to be like everybody working together just kind of based on what I've seen uh, so far. Thank, thanks, Patrick. You, you went ahead and um, answered my, my next question. But TJ, could you um, talk more about um, the partnership between Detroit City FC and Fossil Adventures and the Black Star Initiative um, as well and what, what went on um, last weekend? And if Chioma, you know, after TJ, you could, you know, give your comments about the Black Star Initiative. Yeah, so, you know, Patrick kind of kind of summed up what BSI is and, and what what uh, the program does, it, it, it goes around, you know, nationally to different cities and amplifies, um, you know, the work that's happening um, in the community to grow, to grow black soccer participation. Um, the program was launched in Detroit last weekend. Um, and, you know, we just, we had a fantastic time. We were, we basically served as the host for the program. So uh, BSI used our facilities, uh, kids came out, kids and parents came out to our indoor uh, soccer facility. And um, yeah, we, ju we just served as the host for that. And, and just really, um, you know, uh, just kind of the, the, the platform and launching point for it. Um, the, the interesting thing that we saw and some of the things we heard just, just from that weekend, it was, it was really eye-opening, right? Like, you know, some of the parents were telling us that, hey, you know, um, you know I'm aware of Detroit City FC, but uh, you know, this, the, the club has always felt, it just felt too white for me, right? So I, I didn't feel comfortable coming to the club, or I didn't feel comfortable participating in the programming because, you know, I, I just, they didn't see any other Black representation. Uh, you know, that was, that was one piece of feedback. Another piece of feedback, I uh, was just like, hey, you know, I've never seen this many, uh, you know, Black soccer players in one room participating 
um, in, in the sport together, this many black soccer parents, this is, this is awesome. Right. Um, some people didn't know our field house existed. So, and, and I think, I think we, we've done, um, we've probably done a, a better than average job of being in the community um, and, and offering really affordable youth programming. Uh, but, you know, it was just eye-opening to see that there was still more that needed to be done. And that's when I talk about that intentionality. And that's what I, I think, that's what um, BSI exactly is. It's a very intentional prescriptive about, um, you know, who's, who's being supported and where the resources are going. Of course, it's open to other folks, but we're targeting um, Black Americans in, in that community. So um, it's a really important program, and I'm really excited uh, that we got to launch it and be a part of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, there'll be a lot more to come there, but um, it's, it, it's, it's a great, um, great launching point. Did you, did you have any comments about um, BSI, Chioma, um, with what you've read or heard? I, I saw it. I saw the buzz on social and I saw a couple of my friends made it out there that weekend and a former colleague of mine actually works for Detroit City FC. So we hit him up and um, just said like, and he's just super excited about this initiative. And um, I think it, it's a, it's a great model for other clubs to follow. I think a lot of like clubs just at the league level or just U.S. soccer can sometimes be afraid to lead initiatives like this. Um, so I think with having this in place and then starting with Detroit City FC, hosting that, I think it can really help other clubs to feel like, okay, there's someone that is intentional in this space, doing it the right way. And how can we continue to amplify what people are doing in the community already versus recreating the wheel? I think there's a lot of people doing amazing things, but how can we really amplify and like concentrate our resources to make sure that they're having the greatest impact in local markets? So um, I'm a bit curious, Patrick. Um, the Black Black Star reminds me of um, the the national team of Ghana, and um, that's yeah. an ac ac um, enemy of um, of the the US and Nigeria, where Choma Choma, Choma is from. Mm -hmm. where, where did where did the, the name come from, and and why was um, Detroit chosen as the, the the first location to go to on the side of Fosok Ventures or to partner with? Yeah, that's a great question. And with that, you're definitely, we definitely were inspired by the Ghanaian team. Um, there were really kind of three reasons why we chose the name. So definitely kind of wanted something to be really kind of authentic, but also really like tap into the like whole African diasporic experience. So you're seeing like definitely with the Ghanaian national team, I know there's a lot of resonance with that in West Africa and elsewhere. And then um, just the kind of the American significance with the Black Star group with uh, Talia Kwali and most definitely Philly. And then also just kind of from a Caribbean perspective, um, Marcus Garvey had the Black Star line in the 1920s and 30s. It was really a tool of economic empowerment for Black Americans to kind of go back to their uh, countries of origin in Africa and the Caribbean, but also it was like a shipping line as well. So it just had that kind of cool historical background and just wanted it to be something meaningful, but also just kind of when you think about um, just star, there's just a lot of positivity. So there's a lot of resonance in terms of like star players having being a star, being a, something that kids can really aspire to. So this really had that positive, um, just, just uh, ring to it. And then really just with the initiative, we wanted not to have like a program or a kind of a project name because those things are more so just thought of as kind of short-term things. But with initiative, we thought it had just more of a kind of sustainable meaning to us. So really just from like the historical background from the positivity that, that you hear about when you hear about just the energy of a star or kind of positive things there, then really just the, um, the just wanted to be kind of a beacon of kind of positivity for, for youth who are 
going through our programs for coaches because that's another biggest thing as far as getting more black coaches into the game at the grassroots level. So um, it's really kind of um, just a combination of those elements. And one other cool thing that um, is related to the brand is we had the opportunity to work with um, Warren, Warren Carval and um, Demet Humphrey. So they both come from the black community of Warren. Uh, he's just kind of stepping away from his professional career at MLS and really getting into more creative endeavors. And Demet, he's a awesome um, designer. He's worked at MLS and some other um, brands as well. So really wanted to have just authentic feel as far as it's some, mm-hmm. something that was designed from the black community and something that we can really kind of assume as our own because it really hasn't been just something like that, at least that we know of in terms of this uh, kind of an issue that's really trying to engage and help grow the sport um, both on and off the field in this way. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for and that. I, oh, go and ahead. I, I don't... Um, at the risk of putting more work on Patrick's plate, um, <laughs> I, you know, I would I would certainly implore um, you all to, to kind of go back to your local clubs um, and you know and really see you know if this is something that 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 can make sense in your community. Um, BSI is is awesome, right? Like you know, Detroit is a city that's 85 percent black, and we don't play soccer in Detroit. We just we just don't um, at, at scale, and so. Um, you know, to have people out who've never played before, never seen the game, never been to our field house, didn't know who Detroit City FC was, and then coming out of that weekend saying, hey, like, are you guys doing this again next week? Um, you know, no, we're not. Uh, are you Are you guys, when, when is this happening again? How else can I get involved with Detroit City FC? And that's where, you know, we then provide them um, all of the resources and programming that we have year round to get them involved um, in the game. So, um, you know, it, it's a fantastic initiative. And, you know, when I was first contacted about it, it just, it just made a ton of sense at some point to intersect with Detroit. And um, I'm glad that we were able to, to be a launching point for it. Yeah, definitely. And just to add, I know, um, I forgot this, the last part of your question is around this, why Detroit, but it's really like, having connected with TJ when I was like considering opportunities at MLS a couple years back, just, and just like talking to him around just Detroit city FC's goals to really engage the large black community that they have. Cause it's one of the, I guess the blackest, one of the blackest cities in America, but there really has just been a lot of kind of soccer engagement around that. So really like looking at cities like Detroit um, and other areas that have kind of just big populations of, of black people, black communities, and really just seeing how we can partner with clubs like Detroit City FC to really just help um, in whatever way it makes sense. It's not gonna be the same solution in Detroit that we may bring to another city. So really seeing and listening to the needs of the community and seeing how we can best kind of serve in the resources that we have um, at uh, Force Soccer Practice with the Black Star Initiative. Thanks, Patrick. And and for the other participants on the call, please feel free to um, type questions in the chat. We would have a formal Q&A at the end of the session, but please go, feel free to go ahead with, with questions if you have any. And um, my, my next question for the panelists is um, on the Fox Soccer Ventures side and on the Detroit uh, City FC side, how are we measuring you know, success of this initiative three years, five years, eight years down the line? How are we going to you know, measure the success of the Black Star Initiative? That's, that's a good question. It's something we're like thinking about in real time, just in terms of like what are what are the metrics, what are the KPIs that we're going to use to measure um, success. I think definitely um, really just doing just an analysis on just the kind of data that we have as far as just increasing participation at that kind of at the grassroots level, as far as you're, you're seeing more more black kids, more boys and girls in the game. Definitely like having a large focus on girls and women too, because just kind of just through our conversation, they're really you're seeing like a kind of over, over index of boys in the game versus girls. So really how, how do we 
kind of help and really engage and inspire kids to play. So really um, getting like, participation up and also finding just ways that we can be sustainable. Like this is a new initiative and we can't really do everything in one day, but really um, partnering with brands, getting kind of increased um, funds and sponsorship with kind of bigger brands and media partners and really just to get the kind of um, storytelling out there as well. So I think um, definitely from like a participation standpoint, getting un increased numbers in our programs, like seeing more coaches, coaching teams, but also um, I think for me, like wanting to see high level um, clubs in black communities, because a lot of those high level clubs are now like in a suburb environment. So like looking at ways that we can potentially either like be an intermediary between brands providing funds so the clubs can really kind of raise funding there or even if we get kind of an like investment from our from FSB in general, just to really help and have more black clubs um, just really operating and going to see because I think player development is a big thing. So really, how do we kind of invest in player development? So I would say um, participation, um, increased player development, and then really just hopefully seeing more, more coaches in the game. And this is the other piece I would say is um, just the content and storytelling piece. That's going to be huge as far as engaging culturally. So that's really like we're really invested in that as much as the on field as far as um, getting into the the kind of mainstream as far as I know there's a lot of um, black people now that you have LeBron as the owner of Liverpool you have Yogati with DC United you have Naomi Osaki like getting into the NWSL so really kind of telling stories of um, black people in the game past players it's all really the kind of cultural adjacencies and intersections really just trying to get into black culture and make soccer something that's not really on the side and not really important but something that's really a part of our culture so really like seeing ways that we can do that over over the years I would say is another thing, but definitely all still under development as we like kind of grow over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's just quickly as participation and, you know, that'll translate to all areas of, you know, what we do as a local club, um, you know, translate to, you know, growing our, our fan base and that fan base um, uh, more reflecting what, what Detroit looks like. It'll, it'll, um, you know, even reach who plays in our club. Like we have, we have players, um, I'll say about 40% of our players are, are local, right? They're from Michigan or, or somewhere somewhere in the, in the surrounding areas. And, um, you know, it, it'll affect who, who plays for the team and, and what that what the demographic of player look like, looks like. Are there more Black American players on the team? And then, you know, then you have kids growing up seeing their local club with Black American players and that may encourage them to get in the game. So, Again, it's a cycle, uh, and, it, and it translates to all areas of, of, of a club like ours. And, and, and for Chiama, on, on your side at Sports in Kansas City, what, what kind of impact are you um, hoping to see with um, the Black Star Initiative? Yeah, well, I haven't um, had conversations with them yet <laughs> and how we can integrate it into our um, into our space, but I'm sure I'll, we'll have those conversations soon because um, just from what I've seen on social media and just the people that I've connected with already who are familiar with the program, um, it's only a matter of time and I'm hoping, like speaking, speaking this into existence that it'll be a model for a lot of MLS clubs to follow. And um, it's exciting to see like black people on the forefront of this stuff. Um, I think one thing that can be discouraging is when you are one of the only ones <laughs> in the front office, you're kind of like, okay, well, how many allies do I have here? Will people, you know, buy into this idea? How many people at the top do I have to convince to get buy-in here? So I think the more clubs um, are involved with this, 
I feel like the pressure from the top will start to come that, uh, you know, executives and ownership will have to, you know, they'll have to find solutions in this space because it's, it's kind of like, yeah, we have to find a solution now. So I'm excited to see what, what, what will happen out here. Thanks. So um, to, to TJ and, um, and Patrick, so I, I noticed um, with the Black Star Initiative, there's, you know, a lot of, um, ex-player involvement, you know, Morris Adu, Angela Huckles um, in there, which I think is, you know, great, you know, for, for the project. However, you have um, several um, Black um, ex-players on the sidelines of, um, of, of soccer, you know, Tony, Tony Sane, I know, in Minnesota, um, you know, um, Morris, Morris Adu, you know, Tim, you see Tim Howard on TV, but um, we need, we need, you know, black voices and, you know, in the governing body space at US soccer, you know, at MLS, you know, at leading, you know, in, in clubs. Well, what's, what are your thoughts on, on this and how, what, what is the path for these ex-players to, to really get into these, um, these positions of, of authority and influence to really be voices for, for the black community? I think Patrick, you can go first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, with that, I think you're seeing now just like on the back of just all the stuff that happened in 2020 with just uh, George Floyd and really just a lot of companies and organizations really paying attention to their um, representation like in their offices. I think like hopefully um, just I know like MLS has done some stuff. I know there's just a lot of conversations around just how to diversify um, workforces. So I think it's really more so incumbent on the Kind of leagues and teams to really just look at your representation consider the black players who've done a lot of stuff in the game who are doing great things in the community and really bringing them on board to to have leadership positions um whether it's at the league or the u.s cyber federation because you're really just seeing a lack of representation on that point so i think it's really um, putting pressure on those organizations to really um include the players who have done a lot in the game to kind of get them into positions where they're able to have um, decision making power so i think if you're Workforce is really just not diverse. You're just not going to have a lot of diversity of opinions, stuff like engaging the black community is not really going to be a priority if you don't really have anybody on your team or allies on in the uh, kind of organization who are pushing for that. So I think just that representation is key and at least not really on the executive level, but something we're doing, at least on the lower level where we, had, we launched a fellowship program last uh, summer and we have our first two fellows, but it's really engaging um, college soccer programs, both uh, male and female to have a one year fellowship um, at Four Soccer Ventures. So we have um, two fellows in the program and looking to kind of bring in diverse backgrounds from Hispanic community, black community, um, Native American community, and just other kind of diverse um, communities in uh, just uh, the US as far as like players who've been around the game who wanna come and work in the soccer industry and kind of can start with us and either, if there's a good fit here, they can stay, but if not, like we'll help them find a position at another organization. So I think stuff like that is helpful, but I think just in terms of like the organizations really have to put um, kind of pressure on themselves to really do what they can to bring in a more representation. Yeah, I mean, specifically relating to players, um, I know that um, at MLS, they, they have a, a, a team uh, called the, the Player Engagement Team, and they've done some great work, uh, headed by Jamil Northcutt, um, to, um, uh, to really engage um, their players, current players and alumni, on you know resources job opportunities um you know just kind of wellness programs to make sure that they're taken care of on and off the field uh, while they're playing and after they play um and uh you know patrick mentioned warren who 
played MLS for nine years, um, played last year and just recently stepped away from the game and was in Detroit for BSI. You know, we talked about, you know, some of those resources and um, he's, he's kind of figuring out uh, what, what his kind of next step is. Uh, but, you know, part of that process is to, is to work at MLS. I think he's going to be doing some sort of apprenticeship on the marketing team at MLS um, for the next couple of months. So, those type of programs are key. Um, and, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I mean, you could, this is not my opinion. You could just read, read it in the news. Um, you know, MLS had a bit of an adversarial relationship with some of his players for a period of time. And so, um, you know, what they're doing now um, is probably partly a byproduct of that, but also just the right thing to do. Um, and I would actually like to see, you know, I think, I think I think certainly I've worked with folks who played the game, um, you know, obviously, but I certainly like to see more folks, um, especially at you know leadership levels that uh, that have played the game because, you know, my background I didn't play the game, and so there are some things that you know just culturally I may not know or understand, and um, I certainly have blind spots from that standpoint. But I'm, I'm always open to hearing more more. Uh, more perspectives and more from people who have played the game because, um, you know, I think it helps round out, you know, some of the business decisions that are made. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think that's, that's kind of, kind of one step and something that I, I currently know that's going on. What, and one thing I'll quickly add is um, I think it's important to also engage players while they're still playing into potential jobs. So whether it is you, you find that one player who really likes to do marketing or something, can we, you know, help cultivate those skills while he's still playing? So when he's no longer playing, it's not like you're out in the wild and you're, you know, <laughs> you're left to fend for yourself because you're a lot of players are cut off from those resources that they've had for so long. So um, yeah, I think it's important, even from like a, a coaching perspective, we talked about how there's a lack of representation from just the MLS coaching side. So how can we get players integrated into coaching education programs while they're still playing or something shortly after they're done playing? So it's not this huge um, gap of retirement and trying to figure <clears throat> figure um, your life out. And um, again, just at the front office level, we need more um, <laughs> we need more black people in the front office. So understanding that, hey, there's jobs at all levels here. And the more people we have at the front office, that helps it, that translates into the fans that are coming in the uh how we're marketing to our fans what is the imagery that we're using in the stadium um i always make an effort to try and invite as many black people to our games of sporting because we're very uh we're predominantly white in our stadium uh honestly so it's 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 something that i try to do because i think even if it's simple as inviting someone to a game and this just making sure they have a great experience so it's not their first time and it's not so scary and they feel like they're not um like they don't belong in that space so thanks thanks shoma so we have a question from Nyari, and um, she asks how has your experience how has your experience been as a black professional navigating the sports industry specifically soccer and how have you dealt with any adversary that comes your way I think Chama, you can start and we'll yeah. I'm still dealing with stuff. <laughs> so I think um the one thing that is the one thing I I I've played soccer, I love soccer. I feel like 
soccer, it's, it's the world sport. Um, I love that it's very culturally diverse. Um, I'm Nigerian. I've met tons of Nigerians through soccer. Um, I feel like I'm traveling when I'm, when I've been working in this industry for over 10 years, because you meet people from all over the world. And even if you don't speak the same language, you speak the language of soccer. So I think even if you don't have a passion necessarily for soccer, I think you would just be pleasantly surprised by the people that you meet within the industry. Um, but just as a, as, a, as a Black professional, like <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different things that we struggle with. But one thing that has helped me, um, I guess, like persist in this space is making sure that I, I find allies within the office space. Um, I made it a point when I first moved to Kansas City to, you know, consistently have coffees with a lot of our executives. Um, you hear a lot of noise, there's someone moving some stuff back there. But um, having, having uh, just taking executives out to coffee, asking them questions, being on their radar, um, when I hear about a new job, is that something that I'm interested in? Or how can I, you know, be better utilized within this space? I think you have to advocate for yourself and put yourself out there. But when you build those relationships before you need them, it, that's important. Um, and yeah, I just make it an effort to, to really um, just engage with different people that I work with. And I feel like that has helped. So when issues do arise, I have people that have my back and I feel like I'm, I'm not alone because if it can be very exhausting working in a front office, sports is very fast paced. There's always something going on. We work home games. Sometimes we work away games. We play tonight. So it's like, you're always on. So um, you really have to have good relationships with the people that you work with. Did you, TJ, did you have any comments? Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, Fioma spoke to it, uh, pretty well. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen, um, unfortunately is that, you know, soccer is, uh, like she said, a very, um, diverse sport and culturally inclusive, uh, which is awesome. And one of the reasons that it appealed to me, um, you know, cause I, at least initially um, going to MLS, I wasn't kind of set on working in a league, but, um, you know, the, the culture kind of appealed to me, at least the outward culture. Um, but, you know, what I saw, uh, fortunately, is that, you know, a lot of the, the, the decision-making uh, kind of tree was still pretty homogenous, right? Still still pretty, pretty uh, heavily uh, white male. And so, um, you know, it just, it just kind of made me question some things in terms of, you know, where, where some of the true intentions um, lie if, uh, if, hey, here's what we're trying to do here, the cultures we're trying to reach here, are the folks we're trying to include when, you know, internally um, and some of, some of the entities, um, you know, the, the leadership didn't, didn't kind of reflect that. So uh, I've seen that, uh, but, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something that's a deterrent, but something that you, you kind of have to, strive to uh to kind of be a change agent uh two and four um and uh and hopefully reach those levels and, and help um help influence um in a in a diverse way and be and be a kind of a different voice so um yeah i mean that's that's the soccer experience but that can be extrapolated to to most experiences uh, professionally as well yeah, and I would say for me, I think I'm like kind of a newbie in just in terms of like the like longest I've been in the industry since I just kind of came in, at least in soccer um, within the 
last year and a half. Um, like luckily, at least on the company side, um, for Soccer Ventures, they're invested in growing soccer in diverse communities. Like we have the Black Star Initiative, which we launched. So there's definitely kind of internal investment as far as like putting black leaders in the forefront, um, investing in more. Um, and also we have an Hispanic program called Alianza de Football, which they acquire last year. So there's definitely a big investment just in terms of engaging diverse communities at all levels. And there's gonna be a big focus on women as well, as far as just trying to just increase engagement and provide resources there. But I think um, at least on the sports side, um, more so like talking to brands, just because there's a lot of business development combos that we have just in terms of trying to um, raise funding for efforts. So I think just because there's not a big kind of reach at the moment for kind of the black community in soccer, just a lot of pushback as far as them not thinking it's worth it or something that is gonna be, um, I guess, great for them, at least at the moment. So I think um, just from a brand perspective, it's kind of just challenges as far as trying to um, just have a great uh, kind of business case for why um, kind of companies didn't invest in, in growth there. So I think from my perspective on the company side has been good, but just more so kind of challenging to really um, just get brands invested um, as we continue to um, grow our programming. So and we have a question here from Nira um, who asks, what advice do you have to um, get black students like us who aren't fans of soccer interested in working in soccer? I think Patrick, you can go ahead. Um, really with any sport, this because like sports is a business. So I think really kind of just looking at your skill set and really um, just seeing that where that could apply within soccer, but also just kind of broadly within sports, like whether you're a finance person or operations person or a marketing person, there's really, um, there could be roles like in soccer and any of those positions. So you don't necessarily have to be a fan. I think it, it definitely, helps and for us like we definitely look for people who have a passion for the game or people that come from soccer that's kind of just being um kind of a, an advantage to have on the team but i think if you are i'm um, just doing a lot of research i would definitely say kind of stay up on the news i'm um, definitely check out publications um like sports business journal front office sports all the kind of different things that talk about the business of soccer but also if you're not a fan now it's never too late so i would definitely say just to tap into some games um go to games yourself and really just um just do a deep dive into soccer because it's a growing sport in this country there's going to be as tj said the world cup coming in 26 as the olympics in 2028 20, uh, in la i believe and then there could be a possible women's world cup so there's going to be just a lot of soccer um activities and really just a lot of um, kind of people excited about the sport over the next couple of years i think now is a great time to become a fan if you're not but even if you're not there's still a lot of ways to contribute um in terms of just kind of using your specific skill set to find opportunities Yeah, just just piggybacking on that quickly, you know, I say, you know, is my story like I wasn't necessarily like the biggest fan coming into uh, my experience in soccer. And so I just think it's something that um, you come into if you come into the industry, you come into soccer or whatever sport, um, you know, to, to do your job well. You know, I think I think you you may not become a fan, but you certainly come to understand uh, the product that you're ultimately um, selling right, so um, you know, I say say that first, and the other piece is uh, for me. I came to the decision again with the, you know, with a different kind of framework. Just fig just trying to figure out where sport was growing and looking at different areas, um, <clears throat> different sports and different functions that were growing uh, with within the industry. And so, soccer was that, um, digital media was that for me, and that's kind of how you know, I got to that area and made, made that decision. So it wasn't even, it, it had nothing to do with, you know, be, me being a fan, a fan of the, of the sport. So 
um, you know, the, there's there's different ways you can kind of frame up um, how you're looking at career opportunities that may lead you to, uh, you know, optimal answers. And just really quick, I'll say, um, looking up, getting involved in like, I guess the story, the storytelling piece of soccer. If you find, a, I don't know, if you came from a certain city and you looked up what their team was, or if you look up a historical player from that city, I think that can be a, a cool way to just get interested if you're not necessarily interested in soccer. I think of one of my favorite female um, athletes, Serena Williams, but it's, I love tennis too, but I loved tennis because I was following her and read up on her story. So I think that can be a cool way to um, become a soccer fan. You don't have to be a soccer fan. I would say half of our front office here at Sporting um, didn't really come from soccer and aren't really soccer fans. Um, sometimes it's a pro, sometimes it's a con, but um, yeah, I think just find a team, find some people and just start following them. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll find some, something that you like within that space, so. Thanks, thanks for that, Shoma. So um, in the next 10 minutes, we'll be going into our um, formal Q&A. So kindly get your questions ready and we'll use the raise hand function. So I think we have a, actually have a question here for, from Jackie. So she writes, uh, a lot of leagues, Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga, that are shown in America are behind paywalls, which doesn't help this, help to grow the sports with minorities. How big of a role would you say media visibility plays into that? And do you possibly see a media part, see media partners like NBC, ESPN, CBS moving soccer games to main channels? I think TJ would we can start with you since you're a digital guy here. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, Jackie. And hi, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I, I think I think there's I think. So one of the things that that you kind of understand in soccer, at least at least in my experience, is that um, you know the game is is has been grown um, very well just from an interest standpoint, uh, right overseas in different countries. Uh, but one thing that they that they uh, just kind of collectively um, envy about what we're doing in America is really how we market the game um, and, and uh, the business. Uh, acumen, I guess that uh, some of, some of our sports league, leagues have, um, and so you know these rights deals. You know, I think I think what Jackie says is, is true. Like you know, some of these leagues are based behind paywalls. Um, you know, ESPN Plus probably being uh, the one that covers most, if not all, of these here. Um, but you know, there there are games that are shown on some of these main channels. Um, but I think, you know, in America, you just kind of fight an uphill battle um, because, you know, think about if you're a new fan getting into the game, there are, it's, it's not as cut and dry as it is in, in America, right? You know, if, you, if you're interested in football, you're going to watch the NFL. We're not really watching the CFL or some other startup uh, football leagues here in America. Uh, if you want to watch basketball, it's NBA, right? You're not watching really many other leagues, same, same with baseball and so on and so forth. But soccer, um, you're like, all right, I want to get into soccer. Where do I start? Okay, MLS is here, but, you know, in England, you have the Premier League. And then in Germany, there's Bundesliga. And, like, all right, who are the best players? And then, okay, so all the clubs then come together and play each other in Champions League. Um, okay, then there's the World Cup. Like, there's there's a lot of different touch points um, in soccer. And, 
Um, you know, honestly, I think uh, some a, a bit of that um, complication in the system uh, really, really uh, is an inhibitor to kind of the casual um, American fan, American sports fan, just being like, hey, like, you know, I can really get behind this. It just, there is a, a little bit of a learning curve. So, um, you know, I think that's, I think that certainly affects, you know, all communities, not, not just the black community. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking specifically to some of these rights, I know when I was at MLS, uh, we worked on uh, putting, putting games um, potentially on Twitch, right? So um, having, having partners like that and, you know, NFL is doing some things like that, but really tapping into the digital space uh, to provide uh, access uh, to the games um, that, you know, that otherwise may be behind paywalls. We, we, had, we have games on Twitter, had games on Twitter um, as well uh, for free. And so I could see some of the other leagues um, doing something, something similar to that. But, you know, you're at the mercy of those contracts. Um, you know, if ESPN has those rights locked up until 2028, you're probably not going to see games carved out um, on, you know, free networks and free platforms um, until that time period, which is, uh, you know, which is unfortunate in terms of just growing the game holistic. So a lot, lot of different factors there and really good question, uh, Jackie. Did, did any of you, um, Patrick or Chioma, have comments about this? I, I think TJ spoke quite exhaustively on it. Yeah, he covered it. <laughs> yep, so. TJ got it. <laughs> Sounds, sounds good. So uh, my next question is um, about the perception of soccer not being a cool sport. Um, I was watching a documentary yesterday on Colin Kaepernick and he, you know, related basketball, uh, sorry, um, baseball not being a cool sport, even though he had talent and, you know, went the other way to, to play football. With BSI, is that, is that a challenge you, you, are, you, are, you are looking to overcome in terms of, you know, getting, you know, the young kids um, in you know, interested in, in soccer and, and seeing soccer as a, a cool sport. Um, I think, Patrick, could you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, like, that comment is just right just as far as, as the current state of how people view soccer in America right now. It's very much, like, viewed as a suburban white sport. And I think as you get more representation in the game, you'll see just, um, like, kind of Black people putting their own kind of flavor and really um, just uh, just – stamp on the game I think just from that perspective just representation wise it's not popular so if your friends aren't playing if you don't have a history of family members playing and you're not going to think that it's cool because you're not really involved in it but if you look across the world soccer is like the number one thing and you're seeing representation from all cultures all nationalities etc so I think it's more so just a kind of access to soccer as far as people not really having an education around like what soccer is and just the history of soccer just what it can do for you so I think as you get more participation that's going to lead to Kind of, I guess the thesis is really kind of player development is fan development. So as more people kind of get playing the game, they'll see um, just how cool the game is. I think there's a lot of intersections between soccer and basketball, just as far as just the high level of skill. You look at all these highlight videos and people are like doing crossover type moves and making people fall. So I think I've, as Black people and just really Americans in general kind of get more into soccer, they'll see um, just how... Um, just how cool it is, how the skilled you got to be to play the game. So I think it's more so kind of that exposure to it, but also just getting more people um, kind of educated as to what soccer is. And I think another big point is just really having intersections between soccer and kind of just popular, popular culture. Like you see that with the NFL and the NBA in terms of the kind of musical artists, like dropping um, kind of NBA players in their rap lyrics or 
um, them coming up to games and stuff. So as soccer kind of becomes more of a cultural um, kind of stamp in America, you'll see more people because if Jay-Z was the owner of whatever MLS team, you probably see a lot of engagement just like you see with Brooklyn. So I think as you get more kind of um, people with um, platforms and influence, um, just getting more in the forefront of soccer, that's going to help with the, the cool factor. It's like more so like seeing us and having us put our own kind of unique um, stamp on the game. Um, did you did you have a comment, CJ or Choma? No comment from me. I think you covered it well. Okay, okay great. So uh, my last question before we go into the formal Q and A. So we have you know several students here, including myself, who are looking to to break into into the sports industry, and um, you know trying to find our feet. But what what advice do you you know have for us just in terms of you know, making the best use of our time here, you know, at Columbia and then um, successfully making it into the sports industry like you all have. Uh, maybe we could start with your and move with TJ and then, you know, Patrick. Yeah, um, I'll say, I would say what, what helped me, and my situation is unique because uh, working in Arizona, I went to school at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and then we had the second year of hosting MLS preseason and it was when David Beckham was still playing with LA Galaxy. When he came out, it blew up. We went from having four teams to six teams to 10 teams and 14 teams. And then we were the official Western hub of MLS preseason. So um, I felt like it was like networking. It was, it was like a networking carnival for me because I was able to um, talk with coaches, talk with the technical staff, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then after preseason was over, we had our own PDL season that operated in the summer. So I volunteered a lot. Um, I think it's also important to figure out what you don't like. So um, I didn't like administration. <laughs> I was a director of operations. That was cool for a while. And then I was like, I don't want to do this for an MLS team. Um, so it, it's important to, to take those opportunities when you, when you get them. But also I used my free time in the summer being in Arizona, I could drive to LA and because LA Galaxy had come to um, Arizona, whenever they would have an away game or a home game with a team that has come from MLS or from MLS preseason, I would go out there. And so it was more of making my, my name and my face <laughs> recognizable and top of mind. So when opportunities presented itself, they were like, okay, she she's worked hard. She's had these years of, you know, we can, she, we, we have like a track record of her doing good work. And then also knowing that the industry is so small. So I made sure that I, if I, I wasn't burning bridges, you know, how can you be an asset and just be helpful and know that it's not a glamorous, you know, job. I think it's, it's sexy to say you work in sports, but it's, it's long hours. It's like, I, I tell people, people say to me outside of sports, oh my gosh, you get to go to the game. And I'm like, we have to go to the game. <laughs> like we have to do a lot of these things, but it's a part of the job. So it's weekends, it's long days. And, um, but when you have a passion for knowing that you have a goal or you're driving something outside of yourself, I feel like that's what keeps a lot of people in it. So if you can volunteer um, or intern somewhere at a sports team, great. May take a job that may not be exactly what you want because it still may get you a connection. And if you have an opportunity to visit a game in a market that you want to live in, um, or maybe if you identify a problem and provide a solution for someone, I think those are all great um, tools to help you get in because when we post a job, we get a series of applicants. So it's also like what makes you, what makes you stand out and also use your social media to 
promote yourself in the space that you want to be working in. I use my social media a ton to market myself as a community relations, community programs person when I was in youth soccer. And when that position presented itself, they were like, hey, are you interested in this job? And I was like, oh, you're coming to me. I got some power. So you know what? Let me you know, talk about how much do I want to get paid? What do what are the skills that I have? What do I want to do? So um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, be, be careful with what you post on social media, but also know that your social media can be a live resume to tell people what you want to do. We'll have um, TJ, TJ go, go next. And uh, there's an additional question here on, um, from Andreas, um, who's talking about um, the current MLS rights deal end in 2022 kind deal pays an estimated 90 million per season will definitely be interesting to see which broadcast company streaming services will acquire those rights okay it was just a comment i guess but tj please go ahead yeah um i i do i do need to to jump after this answer so um thank you everyone for uh putting this together and allowing me to participate um you know what i say is um you know just really kind of kind of come back come back to center and uh, figure out and understand your story right who you are um, as Chioma said what makes you unique and the why for you know why you want to be in sport and what you want to do in sport it's not not good enough just to say hey I'm interested in sports you, you have to uh, kind of bring something to the table so to speak uh, so you have a uh, do you have experience that you know marketing experience that would help translate uh, to a club or, you know, are you interested in the area and then does some research and maybe taking some internships um, in a new space, um, you know, that you may not have worked in uh, prior. So, um, you know, was, I think it's, I think it's really about um, understanding who you are and what you want. Um, and then, you know, and obviously what your values are and then finding those companies, brands, uh, roles that, that kind of align with that. I understand that that's very, idealistic um, and, uh, and can be aspirational. Uh, and so, you know, it may not be in that first role, right? It, it, may, it may be a couple of roles from now, um, or, you know, it may, it may just be right off the bat, but um, I think that should always be kind of your guiding point uh, because if not, then, you know, you're kind of just uh, kind of floating doing things um, just to do them. And, and you may be in the industry you want to be in, but you also may be far away from, uh, where you actually want to be and what you actually want to do. So um, I think having that guiding point is helpful and, and really kind of helped me get to this space and um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So, uh, so yeah, so that's my advice. And um, if you, if anyone wants to connect with me, um, certainly feel free to reach out. I'll put my, my, uh, my email in, in the chat and, uh, you know, would we'll, we'll love to talk. So um, thank you guys. I, I do need to go put my, uh, one-year-old daughter to sleep so uh so yeah so thank you guys for for uh, having me tonight thanks tj yeah with this question i would say um, a couple things um just in general like for whatever reason like good or bad like sports and just media industry and entertainment is very much like network driven so um like networking was a big piece of how like i just was able to like first of all learn more about the industry as far as just the different roles available what I would have interest in. So um, I think definitely just connecting with um, just people within your program, um, professors, alumni, are like um, huge helps as far as just kind of getting their background around how they got in, if they can provide resources because um, just even like how I met TJ, like was through one of, um, when I got to MIT Sloan's program, 
I reached out to one of our alum who was working at MLS and we had a great conversation and he uh, told me to connect with TJ um, just to kind of learn more about his role. And he was instrumental in terms of just like helping me get an um, internship interview with MLS. So I think really reaching out to people, um, like having an idea of what specifically you want to contribute to within sports. So kind of knowing yourself and knowing how your either past skill set or your skills that you want to develop is kind of aligned with your resume is going to be helpful with that. So I think definitely networking, having like a specific um, type of role you're looking for, because within sports is like a business. So there's, there's different kind of functional roles. So zeroing in on that and then. I would just say to um, to cast a wide net, there's um, just oftentimes not a whole lot of positions available, like a lot of uh, leagues or teams that only offer one internship at a time. So definitely um, be open to different positions, even if it's not your specific desired sport. So say you want to work in soccer, but you can land something at NHL. Like I would take that role because the sports industry is so super small and like a lot of the experiences are applicable. So um, kind of just cast the wide net um, and then consider just roles that you maybe you weren't considering before because like once you get in sports it's really easy to move around and like go to different areas so I would say um don't be too picky for that first role like it's very hard to find that first role but after you like kind of find that first one it becomes easier for the next ones um coming afterwards and Choma I'll have to jump off but there's a question here I think Patrick your your paper speaks to it a lot so you'll be you know it'll be directed at, at you so um it's from Sam Sam Marks who who says the popularity and accessibility of pickup games makes soccer the sport with best representation of diverse demographics in Europe and South America. Kids go out on the street and just play for free with anyone. In the United States, this is not the case. What can be done to create a culture of pickup games in the US, particularly among demographics who otherwise would not have proper access to soccer? That's, that's a great question. Um... I don't have all the answers in that, but I think um, just as you're getting more kids to to play the game, like more kids like playing at that younger level, they're going to want to have opportunities to play just pickup. Because I know as a kid, I played like both basketball and soccer. So I was definitely playing a lot of pickup basketball just because it was the thing to do was fun. So I think as you're getting more youth into the game, um, just having either like coach or just people really kind of promoting just the free play and how that is really something that really engages and like provides fun environments. I know there's a couple kind of bigger um, leagues for opportunities, like one that I can point to is uh, Venice Beach um, FC and out of LA. So they have just a really like super fun, like pickup atmosphere where they're like having stuff. I think on Sundays, they're bringing in pro players, they're having music and DJ entertainment. So really kind of finding ways to have fun environments um, within soccer. But I think it's just a matter of um, just, you need more people playing the game. You need um, there's a lot of mini pitches coming up in terms of like what MLS is doing and U.S. Soccer Foundation planning those around the world, um, around the um, United States. So I think as you see more of those come up, you'll hopefully see more um, kids just getting at least having an access on just in their in their neighborhoods. So I think definitely um, the big thing is really just providing the facilities and fields in um, inner cities and underserved communities where they can actually play the game because there's not a lot of space right now, but as you see like more mini pitches, you see more fields being developed. That's gonna help um, really like kind of um, stir the pickup um, plays and games. So not really, don't know exactly what it is, but I think those couple of things can definitely help um, with that. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that, Patrick. So on this on this note, I'd like to thank, um, you know, Patrick and the, the other panelists who joined us and then took their time off to, to speak with us and share their knowledge with us and for the participants, both faculty, staff, and, and students, as well as alumni. You know, it's really great that you could join and um, 
really ask questions and then listen in on this um, very important topic. So I'll ha hand it over to Cameron, who will um, you know, provide a closing remarks and go we'll, um, end the session. Thank you, everyone. Yep, you about um, close it out well for us. So yes, again, thank you all for uh, joining and uh, taking your evening. Um, and uh, make sure that you guys do actually reach out and ask more uh, questions and thank our uh, panelists and our great moderator as well. Uh, this is my last uh, one of these. So thank you guys for uh, supporting us in this last year. And um, I look forward to seeing how the uh, BSMU grows. Thanks guys, have a great night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.